Well, hello, my fellow Allowders, and welcome to episode three of the world's very first Girls Aloud specific commentary podcast. You can't mistake their anthology. Celebrating almost 20 years of pure pop excellence from the greatest pop group of the 21st century. Anime is my name, aka the Record Doctor, as your host, this and every month on the pod, and golly god am I excited about this episode right here, as we launch into a proper deep dive into the girls' sophomore studio album, What Will the Neighbours Say? Uh, If you're new to the pod, then hello, hello. You may have missed out on the first two episodes, if so. Episode one, which dropped on New Year's Eve 2021, served as an introduction to the Girls Aloud story by way of Nadine's pre-Aloud beginnings on the Irish leg of the Popstars reality competition, while episode two saw me joined by the wonderful Craig as we got stuck into the gal's debut, Sound of the Underground Era. Both episodes are available now to stream, and I hope you'll subscribe to the pod. I've got well over 24 episodes of this baby planned, and I'm so, so excited to have a regular outlet to talk all things Girls Aloud. Much like last month, however, I am not alone. Joining me for February's You Can't Mistake Their Anthology, I'd like to welcome to the podcast a fellow Melbourne pop gay of many opinions, with a deep love of all things Madonna, Taylor Swift, and, of course, Girls Aloud. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome the truly wonderful Ed Pitts onto the podcast. Hello there, Ed. How in the bloody hell are you? I am so excited. I am talking to the fabulous Adam and we're talking about Girls Aloud and this is pretty much the greatest moment of my life. Oh, stop it. You're too kind. Oh my God. That's very lovely. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on what's going to be a huge episode of the podcast as we delve into what will the neighbours say. You are very well known on the twits for your pop music and culture opinions, and I couldn't think of anyone else to shoot the shit with about this album, an album that I'm sure we will both have some very heated discussions about today. (laughs) Absolutely. I know we've already had a few conflicts, so this is, uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. (laughs) Ed, could you please maybe share with our listeners how you came to the Girls Lab? story. I'm sure a lot of our UK listeners, of which the majority of the listeners are, find it a bit of a surprise that the only allowed podcast in existence is run by an Aussie who has so far only had Aussie guests on it. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. So as an Aussie gay, I kind of missed out on their formation in their early years. Well, obviously we didn't have the the TV show screen, Popstars The Rival. Um, And I, you know, I'd heard a couple of their singles. I downloaded a few off of companies that are probably now defunct on the internet. Uh, but my first real taste of Girls Aloud fandom was the show, lead single from the second album. Right. Incredible. Yes, yes. And that was, I mean, to this day, I, I think it could be on radio, but it was just so fresh and so inventive and, you know, such a, a shift in pop. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it was also the beginning of, which we were talking about off air, it was the beginning of their imperial phase. Absolutely. Hugely important to the story. We were talking earlier, actually, about the difference of being an Australian fan of Girls Aloud and then going to the UK and actually seeing what Girls Aloud mania looks like. It's, it's, it's very, it was very different, wasn't it? It was. I happened to be in London in 2008, just after Tangle It Up had come out. And yeah. it was probably a couple of months after the last single, uh, Can't Speak French, had come out. And I was at a gay bar. And let me tell you, if you're in London at a gay bar and they don't play Girls Aloud in the first 15 minutes, you actually have to call the police. It's a law. 
this is true. I experienced that as well. <laughs> oh, when were you there? Um, so I was there in 2013, uh, exactly nine years ago, right now, funnily enough, for the 10 tour. Oh, uh, wow. It was, yeah. I mean, it was a trip that cost me a small fortune that was worth every single penny. And even more so in hindsight now, I mean... We, we obviously had no idea that that final show on the 10 tour would be Girls Aloud's final show ever. So I'm eternally grateful to that month abroad. And I think my only regret now is that I didn't go to more shows outside of the three that I did. But I got to be there and I ended up on the tour DVD, which we'll talk about a bit later on, because my appearance on that DVD is set to a single from this album. <laughs> Um, I did have a moment with the girls in Melbourne as well during their 2006 chemistry promo tour of Australia and New Zealand, but that glorious meeting, including the group photo I got to have with them out front of the Como Hotel, will be covered in the next episode of the podcast. Uh, I'll be going into all of that with the person who was sat by my side for it, which is my BFF, Benatar. He'll be joining me on the pod next month for the chemistry episode. But, of course, and as per usual, I'm getting ahead of myself. So on that note, Ed, shall we gift wrap our kitty cats and head straight into it? Oh, let's get into it. Before we do the show, very quickly, I'd just like to address something from episode two. Yes, I am indeed aware that I pronounced Adele from Bewitched's name incorrectly, but you have to understand that for probably 10 years or even more, I and quite a few of my friends all thought you really did pronounce it as Edel. So in the spirit of that, yes, I am aware of the correct pronunciation, but I sadly have no plans to start pronouncing it that way because quite frankly, Edel is a much better name. It sounds like we're not going to be able to talk about anything in Nadine Coyle's accent then. (laughs) I just quickly also wanted to mention uh, a few people have brought up in regards to the era B-sides. So I'm specifically not bringing up the B-sides in the episodes because I actually have a B-sides episode planned with a very special guest. So hold your horses. It's coming, all right? Hold your wild horses, actually. Following the release of their fourth single and Pointer Sisters cover, Jump, Girls Aloud were facing crisis mode. Many acts birthed on reality television, including pop stars The Rivals' One True Voice, who seemingly disbanded after about three hours of being together, have all succumbed to the curse of reality TV pop acts, landing straight in the pop dumper with their CDs scattered across Goodwill stores and op shops across the globe, all going for a tenth of their original regular retail price. So it should come as no surprise that the Girls Aloud story almost came to an end at Jump. Disappointed that the 20 million weekly viewers Popstars Arrivals had earned each week was not translating into 20 million album and single sales for the girls, a lesson labels would eventually come to terms with as they pumped out one single album wonders after another, Polydor Records were in serious talks to drop Girls Aloud before they were even able to really discover their sound. Polydor's marketing director at the time, Peter Lorraine, thankfully saw things very differently and somehow managed to convince the label to allow the girls to record a second album, a second album that many, and clearly including their own label, didn't think would actually even happen. After the success of Sound of the Underground, No Good Advice and the production work on Jump, Polydor enlisted writing and production house Zenomania to work with the girls on their next LP. 
Zeno's Brian Higgins is actually on record saying that he initially thought it would be like the previous effort, a few songs for the girls in a sea of them working with others. But Polydor were to have none of that. And thank God, telling Brian that if Xenomania weren't going to do the whole album, Polydor weren't going to do the album at all. This all came from the general label consensus that of the people who'd worked on the Girls Aloud debut album, it was seemingly only Higgins and his team who were able to understand exactly what the group was about and how they should sound. Upon the completion of the album, Polydor presented the gals with a choice of four tracks to be the album's lead single, and it was between Wake Me Up, Graffiti My Soul, The Show, and eventual era B-side, Androgynous Girls. Initially, it was Wake Me Up that the girls preferred of the bunch, but after discussions around it being quote-unquote too hard, Polydor didn't want to take the risk, so the show was bumped into the spotlight. On the 28th of June, 2004, Girls Aloud released their fifth overall single and the first to be lifted off their, at this point, upcoming second studio album, What Will The Neighbours Say? By Xenomania's Miranda Cooper, Brian Higgins, Lisa Cowling, John Shave, and Tim Powell, the show was a surprising return to some from the girls, but really, how could this be a surprise from the group and songwriting house that brought us Sound of the Underground? The guitars may have been completely replaced with synthesizers, but this outrageously great pop song was just as loud and just as sonic as Sound of the Underground. While the two lead singles sound nothing alike, their bombasticness and thumping dance-focused bass lines aren't exactly all that different. The show took things to the next level, though, establishing a unique sound that felt quintessentially unlike any other pop group at the time, even though Xenomania were working with outside of the Allowed. It was the first time we would hear the experimental sequencing of a Xenomania slash Aloud production, something that would become a signature move from both the Xenomania Hit Factory and the girls themselves. You wanted a simple verse-chorus-verse pop song? Well, I'm sorry, but you're at the wrong show, pardon the pun. <laughs> There's a good reason why many fans see this as one of the girls' most important releases. And it was. The show, as we said earlier, really began their imperial phase, and it was a phase that stretched itself right out to their final studio album, Out of Control. It also cemented the girls as a force to be reckoned with, and perhaps most importantly, as a pop group who had already completely outgrown their reality TV beginnings. Never had a single from a pop star's or idol contestant sounded as fresh, as exciting, or as innovative as the show. Well, not at least since Sound of the Underground. It fit perfectly into the music surrounding it on the charts at the time, and yet sounded like absolutely nothing on it or the radio. I think you hit the nail on the head there. There are a lot of factors against them. You know, they were formed on a reality show. They're a girl group. They had a hit single with a cover. They probably easily could have gone down the Atomic Kitten covers route. But instead, right. they they worked out this this chorusless, or is it six choruses? I can't work it out. This pop song <laughs> that just defied the rules, and like I admire them. This is why I love this song so much. It was such a massive risk, and the payoff sure. now is that it's it still sounds fresh. 
The show's release would be spread out over four different formats and each boasted a mix of jump remixes, an interview with the girls, an interactive CD-ROM show game, and a couple of the show remixes, but none of them would top the later issued Tony Lamesma Club Mix. Of the remixes, the Tony Lamesma one I think is the absolute best of the bunch, but I would say I don't mind the BBK alternative mix either, which funnily enough is not very alternative at all, but nonetheless a banger. <laughs> Important as the song itself, it's high time we discussed the show's music video. Directed by Trudy Bellinger, who would go on to direct aloud videos for I'll Stand By You, Sexy No No No, The Promise, and The Loving Kind, I will never forget the shriek of laughter I let out the very first time watching it as I realised the name of the beauty salon the video was set in was called Curls Aloud. <laughs> Starring Nicola Roberts as Chelsea Tanner, Nadine Coyle as Frenchie, Sarah Harding as Super Styler, Cheryl Tweedy as Maxi Wax, and Kimberly Walsh as The Boss, the show's music video was set, as I just mentioned, in a beauty salon geniusly named Curls Aloud, a salon seemingly run by women, but strictly to enact revenge on men. <laughs> Nicola's character spray tans rude messages onto her clients, while Nadine gives her clients unconventional facials. Sarah's hairstyling role sees her upset each and every one of her customers with their final hair results. Cheryl waxes body hair off of the menses in the most painful and technically inaccurate way you could, and Kimberly as the boss, of course, just looks on very amused as she watches her fellow bandmates temporarily destroy one man after the other. My favourite part of this video comes by the stunning chairography scene and the downright hysterical broomography scene, which sent me to Pluto and back the first time I saw it. Now, Ed, at the time I was actually working as a bookkeeper and cleaner at my uncle's car yard and mechanical garage. Yes, very mask for mask. And I would, uh, more often than not, try to reenact and recreate the broom dance sequence whenever I would blare the show as I swept the showroom and the mechanical station. Never has cleaning felt more powerful or glamorous than it did in those instances. Oh, I love it. I mean, let's be real. Expensive videos were not really their brand, but I think what they did cleverly is there was always one particular dance or moment that every gay man wanted to, to do in their own garage. Right, totally. Like, when I'll get to biology next episode. I was just dance. about to say. Yeah. The clock dance. It's the only mo curry I know. It's the only thing I know how to do at the PL3 a.m. <laughs> The biology clock dance and Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interestingly, though, uh, Kimberly was actually once quoted as saying that the show was her least favourite Girls Aloud video of all time. 
Uh, but it, it's generally one of my absolute favourites. The sheer delight of seeing my five favourite girls torture and torment the men who may have potentially hurt them and inside a salon called Curls Aloud. I mean, come on, Kimba, come back to the light. This is a great video. Seriously, what did Usher do to get that number one? Right? I don't understand it. Burn's not as good as the show. I'm sorry. The show sounds as fresh now as it did back then and I still think it's really underrated in the discography. Like... You know, as a crazy gay psycho, I have to have a top five list of every band's songs <laughs> at all times, and it never leaves my top five. Right, right. It's one of those songs that's just stood the test of time and aged brilliantly. The show managed to peak at number one in Scotland, number two in the UK, and number five in Ireland. Also peaking at number 90 in Romania. Now, quite interestingly, and very peculiarly at the time for those Aussie fans who'd been along for the ride before Chemistry, the show was released in Australia in 2006 as the second single lifted off the Aussie version of Chemistry. Yeah, so the local label, Universal, actually took two of the album tracks from Chemistry out and replaced them with Neighbours, I'll Stand By You and The Show, opting for The Show as its second single after what was an allegedly rough back and forth about just what would be the next stab at the Australian market from the girls. Miserably, in 2006, the show peaked at number 67 in Australia and would end up being the very last Girls Allowed single to see an Aussie release. That's dire. Terrible, terrible outcome. And I think that Universal were on the right track in regards to wanting to release stuff from What Will The Neighbours Say? But perhaps they should have released the album What Will The Neighbours Say? (laughs) before then and brought the girls down to try and do a promotional trip before 2006 so they could have tried to crack the market. There was talk when Call the Shots came out that it might have been released here and I do remember the Fox uh, hit network actually doing, when they used to do on their like, top 30, they'd do a poll, ask people to call in and vote for which song would go through to the next round as the new song of the day. And I remember Call the Shots lasting a couple of days so there was some real hope that maybe something was going to happen and yeah then nothing so they just had a really terrible fate all around when i would have liked to have seen your uh, your phone bill around then <laughs> <laughs> no comment <laughs> it is such a shame though like i think one of the hardest things about being an australian girls allowed fan is that there's just there's just not the same fandom outside gay twitter here no not at all no one really understands it and when i went overseas and i was telling people what i was going over for The people who were very, very close friends with me, who now only knew about Girls Aloud because of my constant ramblings about them, outside of that, nobody understood the excitement, nobody had heard of them, nobody understood why I was, you know, I literally quit my casual job to go on this tour and then came back and redundancies happened at where I was working, so I couldn't go back to that job. Oh no. I put a lot on the line for this, to go to this show and to go and see them. It was definitely a very, very different experience walking through the UK, especially on the, on the day that the breakup was announced. And because I was at the final show, went back to the hotel and we're about to go out to the clubs and that fucking tweet longer came out where they broke up with us. (gasps) I remember the next day traveling back to London Every newspaper had that on the cover. All the news stations were talking about Girls Aloud breaking up. Like, it was just totally uncanny to me that 
it was as big of a news event there as it was in my heart, (laughs) (laughs) which I was very, I was not used to at all. So it was, yeah, very, very special. Three months after the release of the show and around two months before the Neighbours album would drop, Girls Loud released the record's second single, which served as yet another cultural reset. Written once again by Zeno's Miranda, Brian and Tim, alongside Nick Kohler, Lisa Cowling, Myra Boyle and Sean Lee, on the 13th of September 2004, Girls Aloud dropped Love Machine, a thunderingly great pop track that once again showed how effortlessly the girls could switch from genres and still ultimately make what would eventually be referred to as a quintessential girls allowed moment moments that all had a distinct sound and feel but love machine's release was met with a lot of hesitation and flat out disagreement when polydor presented the song as the project's second single with nadine thinking that they would be laughing stocks if they released the track and that their careers would be over with sarah on record as stating the girls actually wanted deadlines and diets to be the second single ultimately polydor got their way thank god and proved each of the girls wrong when it inevitably became a massive hit Love Machine's early stages, however, did sound a little different lyrically to what we're all used to now. In fact, Xenomania admitted to coming up with some of the song's lyrics by singing quote-unquote nonsense lyrics over the instrumental, which eventually turned into legitimate lyrics. In fact, an early demo of the track, which only featured vocals by Nadine, Sarah and Cheryl and didn't even mention any sort of Love Machine and was more than likely titled This Is So Very Strange, which, well... How's about we let you make your own mind up about how strange this demo version is? Nowhere near the brilliance of what would become of the track, but an interesting insight into how it all began, and perhaps that demo is one of the reasons why the girls were so adamant they hated the song in the first place. Love Machine, which was recorded in 18 parts over three days, saw the girls enter a musical landscape that they hadn't before, sounding like a femme-fronted pop Arctic Monkeys more so than a pop group that came from reality television. This rousing, sugary rush of a song that felt like a delightful pop seizure fast became one of the girls' most recognisable tracks, fast becoming a fan favourite, and fast creating new fans who'd as yet not been on board. Look, it's not my favourite single. It's probably not even in my top 10 or 20 songs by them. But what I love about this song was that it kind of made them a little bit cool. 
you know, we, as pop fans, we shouldn't need validation from the outside world, but it's nice to no. get it when we do. Amazingly, and my favourite part of the entire Love Machine story, actually, is the song lyric that would eventually become the album's title, I Need to Squeeze a Day, instead of this negligee, What Will the Neighbours Say This Time, which is a direct link to the girl's debut single, Sound of the Underground, and more specifically Cheryl's Neighbours Banging on the Bathroom Wall lyric. Up there, I think, with the genius of Kylie asking if the world was still spinning around for In Your Eyes or Madonna's Vogue referencing Deeper and Deeper. Oh, I was going to go one further and say, is that Maya Angelou? <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> now, funnily enough, according to research acted out in 2006... Classic mobile phone production company Nokia revealed that their test subjects voted Love Machine as the second most exhilarating song ever written, <laughs> sitting behind Blur's Song 2 at number one. How bizarre that Nokia were running these sort of workshops and diving into this sort of research. What, what the hell? That is crazy. And poor girls allowed again. They can't get a number one. The Susan Lucci of the UK pop world. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was dying to ask you about this. What did you think of the Arctic Monkeys cover of Love Machine on BBC? I stand the Arctic Monkeys. I've been to a few of their shows. I really, really love them. And I thought it was a very good cover. Um, nothing on the original, but it also, like you said earlier, it helped the idea of the, the idea that Girls Aloud were cool. It pushed that a little bit further, the fact that Arctic Monkeys were covering them on Radio 1 as well, you know? I actually have a bit of a story to tell about this connection, though. So back in 2008, the Monkeys toured their favourite Worst Nightmare LP across Australia, and I was naturally there at the venue a good six hours before the show started to secure my spot, because that's the kind of thing that I used to do. Not only that, but in the spirit of their Love Machine cover, I was there in a Girls Aloud t-shirt, and they're in that t-shirt with no shame or irony either, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so I get there really early for this prime position at the front and right at the centre of the stage. But this was a spot that I would ultimately lose within the first two songs of the Monkey Show, as the general admission standing zone slowly turned into a mosh pit battleground, and I eventually found myself at the very back of the venue for the rest of the show. <laughs> now, I was mortified, probably more pissed off than mortified, but yes, I was angry as hell in the back, especially after taking time off work to get there early and all that. Anyways, for those of you who don't know, Festival Hall, which is the venue that they were performing at, they have this backstage side exit, which is probably the best venue in Melbourne to meet the artists performing there as they try to rush onto their minibus and back to their hotels. The only artists that didn't stop for me were Courtney Love, who sped off so fast in her car we didn't even see her exit the venue, and Kesha, who all saw us waiting, waved, and got into her bus and fucked off. <laughs> so with all of that in mind and the fact that I'd been pushed and kicked to the very back of the venue, I decided that I'd make a run for it to the backstage exit door during the very last track. I figured if I wasn't going to get my big gig connection with Monkey's frontman Alex Turner, who I was very much in love with at the time, then I was going to get it meeting him after. So I stand there with other fans as the crowd outside the door slowly grows inside, me as always being one of the oldest people there. <laughs> about two hours pass, uh, which is about the norm I'd say, and members of the band start slowly walking out. We each get a wave as they climb onto their tour bus, and a few minutes later lead singer King Alex walks out. 
turns around to all of us shouting his name, took one look at my t-shirt and came walking straight over to me first. Came right up and I mumbled some words about getting my CD signed and a photo with him. He agreed and then immediately said, quote, if not for that top alone, what a cracking good t-shirt, mate. End quote. Ed, I died. And, and then we spent about three minutes talking about how amazing Girls Aloud were. Truly, truly surreal moment. And one of my f- absolute favourite pop star interactions of all time. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you actually talk about anything apart from Girls Aloud? No. I said it was a great show. And we started talking about Girls Loud. <laughs> so, so good. Did not expect it at all. Like, I thought maybe he might mention it or something like that. But no, like, got into, like, really, really appreciating them. So that was amazing. Um, such a great moment. Love Machine remixes, or specifically so, the and Tony LaBesma mix, which for me, at least, absolutely outdoes the original by sticking as closely to it as it could, and just simply adding what felt like a bit of a motivate feel to its baseline. Lovely. I've been going crazy while you sleep, searching for a language that the two of us can Amazingly, Love Machine was also mashed up and quite famously at the time by MTV with Jet's Are You Gonna Be My Girl? <laughs> Let's take a quick listen to what sounds like a proper horror show on paper but actually kind of works. <laughs> Onto that cheap and very nasty, but in the most amazing way, video clip. This may not have been their actual cheapest video clip, as it was actually filmed on 35mm film to achieve a glossy look and feel, but it certainly looked and felt like it was their cheapest, made complete with those unforgiving gowns. <laughs> but uh, as is the case with almost every Girls Aloud music video released, 
all of that just kind of made the video feel more endearing than it already was. Walking into a jazz bar named the Eskimo Club only heightened the fact that the song's lyric the bar's name comes from, Let's Go Eskimo, makes absolutely no sense outside of the video's club existence. <laughs> Easily my favourite lyric of the song and the start of many bonkersly delightful lyrics that the girls would give us over the next few years. <laughs> Other lyrics of note for me, so Mr. Prehistoric, make your wheel, and I'll breathe underwater because I like the way it feels. And of course, we're gift-wrapped kitty cats, we only turn into tigers when we've got to fight back. Again, quintessentially Girls Aloud and Xenomania lyrics that no other pop group on earth could get away with singing. It really did become their calling card, didn't it? It really did. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed in the video. I think given the cool factor of the song, I think they could have probably done something a little bit different. It was a bit of a wasted opportunity. What? Yeah, narrative. I think they used all their budget on, on songwriting lyrics because the narratives of the video, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Definitely was no curls allowed, was it? <laughs> Nothing is. <laughs> Kept from the top spot by Eric Prides' Call On Me, Love Machine peaked at number two in both the UK and Scotland, number nine in Ireland, number 50 in Romania, and number 52 in the Netherlands. Shifting over 400,000 units in the end in the UK, Love Machine was also certified gold there and just managed to crack the UK's end of year singles chart at number 49. 400,000 is pretty decent. It's really good, isn't it? Especially when you consider, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I think uh, Stand By You may have only shifted 200,000 units. Well, I've got a few theories as to why that is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a number one. So anyway, speaking of I'll Stand By You. <laughs> or as I call it, Can't Stand By You. <laughs> oh no, here we go, folks. <laughs> On November the 15th, 2004, and two weeks before the album would drop, Girls Aloud released What Will the Neighbours Say third single, Children in Need charity fundraiser and cover of the Pretenders classic, I'll Stand By You. I know, Ed, you have some polarizing thoughts on this cover. And before we do get to all of that, I just wanted to quickly talk about how this cover actually came to be. Now, were you actually aware of the fact that the first version Xenomania put together of I'll Stand By You was actually a more modern sounding breakbeat version of it? No way. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a version that never saw the light of day and was eventually scrapped in favour of just simply doing an updated version of the original song, which was something that Brian Higgins thought would be better suited to the Children in Need charity single plight. So, Ed, I'm going to save my thoughts till after you've shared yours, but I know that you, alongside many, many, many others, hate this with a passion. <laughs> oh, look, what can I say about this? Um, it's a song. Um, it's... <laughs> It's a thing that exists. Uh, some girls sang it. No, um, look, when you're talking about the children in need thing before, I think there always needs to be a certain level of forgiveness for this sort of stuff. You know, the girls allowed oh, sugar babes walk this way. I, that was just excruciating. I will say the one thing that really disappointed me about this was I felt they were on such momentum to really stand out and do something different. So to do a, a ballad, a cover, um, kind of a song that really shouldn't be covered anyway, 
It just yeah. felt a bit of a sad moment. But again, it's for charity. Now, Adam, I'm, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> All right. So, look, for me, I, I was obviously a big fan of the Pretenders original, definitely. And while I initially for a long time actually joined those of you who have a serious disdain for the track, it eventually became the only version of the song that I would listen to and something that's going to piss a lot of you off, including you, it would eventually become my very favourite of the two versions, which I'm sure many will see as pop blasphemy. But other than having a deeper history and connection to it, it's Nadine's middle eight vocal kills me. It just fucking kills me. I absolutely love it. And there's, yes, so there's definitely that, but I do have a deeper history and connection specifically to their cover of the track that I guess holds a bit of a bigger meaning for me now and especially so in hindsight of everything. But what I will say, Adam, is I've warmed this song a lot more since um, Sarah's passing, bless her soul. Um, You know, I think think the ballads have really been elevated a bit by the... by the sentiment since then? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I did briefly mention uh, in previous episodes and at the start of this one about my trip to the UK to see the girls on the 10 tour. And many of you might remember my mug, not only from dates on that tour, but also from the tour DVD. So the DVD was filmed across the London O2 shows, of which I attended two of. And while we didn't really know it was going to be the end by the time the tour wrapped, I'll Stand By You as the second last track of the show still got pretty much everyone in their feelings uh, about the years that we'd missed after their breakup, about the joy they'd brought us over the years, and a photo album backdrop of the girls that just took us all out. And of course, about the fact that this tour was probably going to be the absolute end of the ride. So I'm not ashamed to say that I ride at the front of the stage against the barrier, Bald like a fucking babby during I'll Stand By You at all of those shows, even more so at the final show, where there literally wasn't a dry eye in the venue. Now, picture this, alright, I'm crying, snot dripping everywhere and eyes a puffy mess, looking directly at the girls on stage. I noticed something in front of me in the corner of my eye in the security pit just before the stage, Look to the side a bit more and am confronted by a giant camera lens positioned about 10 centimetres away from my face. I, I was mortified and I sunk to the ground to hide from the cameras in my bag. But of course, they'd already gotten their money shot, so they pissed off. Me, with tears in my eyes, singing along to the lyric, And I'll never desert you, I'll stand by you. Thankfully, they didn't use the parts where I was hysterical and snotty. And in the end, I was actually so happy that I got those few seconds on what would be their final ever DVD release as a band. So it's really hard for me not to love this version, especially as you said in hindsight post Sarah's passing. And also the fact that those were the very last shows of Girls Aloud, as we know it, ever. But 
Also because of that DVD moment, uh, my biggest heroes in the Western pop world are Girls Aloud and Madonna, of which I have appeared on two DVD releases now for both. So I can't hate this song because it brings back some of the most amazing, happy, intense and sad memories from what I would say was the greatest month of my life. Totally. And let's be real, nostalgia can trump any form of songwriting sometimes. Big time. And again, can turn, which it did with me, take a song that you never liked and really, really make you appreciate it and love it. Did I say that this was their highest charting single in Australia? No, I think that Sound of the Underground might have been their highest charting single in the end. No, no. So Jump came in at number 23, which was their highest. Then Biology at 26. Sound of the Underground at 31. The Show at 67. And No Good Advice at 88. And it didn't chart? They're the only ones that charted. Because they were the only ones. So even Life Got Cold wasn't released in Australia. So they in Australia, they released Sound of the Underground, No Good Advice, and Jump. And then after that, it wasn't until 2006 when they released Biology. And then the show was the second single from Chemistry Australia. And that was the last time they ever had a charting single in Australia. Well, nevertheless, and despite the fact that it does seem to be one of the most hated Girls Aloud single releases outside of Beautiful Because You Love Me, the track went on to peak at number one in the UK, becoming their second single to do so and their first since their debut, Sound of the Underground. It also peaked at number one in Scotland, number three in Ireland, number 55 in Romania and number 85 in the Netherlands. And the single was also certified silver in the UK where it shipped over 200,000 copies, which we mentioned earlier. Very interesting that it went number one at 200,000 copies and the show sold 400,000 copies and only managed a number two. It's interesting the way those numbers change between releases. I guess it was because it was a charity single. Maybe there was a bit of a, you know, a rush to buy it and support it and then maybe a free fall. Right, maybe indeed. But yeah, interesting that that was the first number one that they would get after Sound of the Underground. Talk about polar opposites. Singles. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> but I'll take any number one for Girls Aloud. Right, right. No, fair enough. Absolutely. Although there's really not much to say about the video other than great gowns, beautiful gowns. It is... Lovely to watch all the sand and all that. It, it, it's, a, it's a nice clip. It, it'll do. One thing that I do want to talk just a little bit more about than the video is the Tony Lamesma Club Mix of I'll Stand By You. Well, I'm this on today's episode but that remix is so good i love it tony lamesma at this point of the girl's career whoever you are which i'm pretty sure it was just brian but whoever tony lamesma was at this point killing it in the game when it came to remixes i was always so excited when i saw that an artist was getting a tony lamesma remix and again once again this is a plight through the podcast, Brian, if you're listening, please bring Tony Lamesma remixes back. We need them, we, especially now. Like, please bring back Tony Lamesma. That's all we're asking. 
On Monday the 29th of November 2004, Girls Aloud finally released their hotly anticipated second album, What Will The Neighbours Say? Made up of 14 tracks, 13 if you don't include Tacton's Sound of the Underground single Jump, which in the case of this episode we will be skipping, as it's already been covered in episode 2, the album delved into a number of genres as the girls continued to discover and cultivate their sound with Xenomania, as opposed to what happened with the first album and the girls sort of just trying to find their footing with many different production cooks in that proverbial kitchen. It felt more cohesive and benefited deeply from the fact that Xenomania were all over it. What Will the Neighbours Say also saw our heroines themselves step into the role of co-songwriters on tracks like Big Brother, Hear Me Out, Thank Me Daddy, I Say a Prayer for You, and 100 Different Ways, and we'll get to those in a minute, I promise. But the album also featured a track hotly rumoured to have been offered to Britney Spears first as well as a track that was originally performed by a Miranda Cooper project called Moon Baby, which would eventually go on to be covered by Aqua's Lenny in 2003. It also further showcased the girls' ability to slip in and out of different genres while still making it feel like it came from the same project. Now, let's talk about the Neighbours' up-tempo album cuts first, Ed. From the top, it's track seven on the record, and the first track in the album sequencing to feature Girls Aloud as the main songwriters... Big Brother. Can I ask, was this a song specifically for Big Brother or was there any partnership there? That's a thing I don't know because I always thought that it was a bit of a lost opportunity that it was never incorporated into any episodes of the UK leg of the UK Big Brother. I mean, the lyrics singing Big Brother is watching me and I don't really mind. It feels like such a clever reference to the sign of those times. Absolutely. And, you know, UK in the UK, Big Brother is religion, just like Girls Aloud is religion. Right. This was this perfect, harmonious pop culture moment. <laughs> I do love Big Brother. It's not obviously my favourite song on the album or anything, but I think... It has this kind of dark pop feel, which feels really Girls Aloud. Yes. Yeah, I mean, not only kind of a love song, not only kind of a song about authority figures, but also a song about the culture that we would see the internet and itself turn into thanks to social media. Absolute genius. But yeah, from what I can tell, there was no connection to the show. Because I pretty much watched almost every episode of Big Brother UK and Celebrity Big Brother UK as well. And no. Not in there. Should have been. Wasted opportunities. The next up-tempo moment on the record comes by way of the brilliant fan favourite, Graffiti My Soul. Spike heels with skin-tight jeans, I've got a fistful of love that's coming your way, baby. Spike heels with skin-tight jeans, I've got a fistful of love that's coming your way, baby. Spike heels with skin-tight jeans, I've got a fistful of love that's coming your way, baby.
Uh, a track which was temporarily slated to be the project's first single and then again chosen and again scrapped to be the era's sixth and final single. But as we know, that idea was tossed aside in favour of recording their next studio album, 2005's Chemistry. But this would have made an amazing single, even without a chorus, originally offered to Britney Spears. And yes, I do know for a fact that it was not only offered to her, but... A Britney recorded demo version of the track does indeed exist, but only inside the tightly guarded Xenomania pop vaults. Uh, I, I was trying to remember before if I'd actually heard the demo or not. You know, lockdowns sort of destroyed a lot of my brain cells. Um, <laughs> and I think I imagined it. I reckon Britney would have killed that. Would have America had gotten it? Possibly not. Totally. The thing is, is that I can hear her singing it when I think of a Britney version of that song. Totally. And I think, like, you know, she started... She did songs like How I Roll on Femme Fatale. And so she she's always had this really big appetite to kind of push the boundaries of pop a little bit. I think she would have killed it. But I'm glad Girls Aloud kept it. Definitely. It feels like it found the right home in the end. For sure. it's It feels like one of the most Girls Aloud songs ever. It's just batshit. Right. It encapsulates everything that we'd so far loved about Girls Aloud. Unrelenting power and full display. Their cheekiness that almost always bordered on being cocky, their amazing ability to turn the most obscure Zenomania lyrics into pop masterpieces, and a fierce, unforgiving attitude from start to finish. There's an undeniable power and magnetic force to this song that draws you in, grabs you by the balls, and rips you figuratively into shreds. Graffiti My Soul also benefits from a sample of the Pemp Lab track, It's Not The Drug. keeps me up at night that it was a never a single and on top of that you know you're trying to explain girls aloud to people and you can barely get into the singles of people then you've got to start talking about deep album cuts it's a whole new level you know to to deal with album cuts the b-sides oh my god yeah it's just an endless conversation to try and get people sort of (laughs) the whole picture in a very quick conversation (laughs) do you think it would have been a great lead single or just a, a, a single i think it still should have been a single yeah, agreed. I still think they should have just pushed it out, maybe done a live video for it or something, like just push a montage video out, still keep recording chemistry. For sure. I do wonder, actually, this is when they started really getting momentum of not missing the top 10, if that factored in at all. Maybe. Maybe it was just too much of a risk to break their... At that time, it was just consecutive. Yeah, we're, we're up to eight in a row, is that right? Or eight in a row of top fives or something? Eight. Eight top fives, yeah. That's bloody impressive. Next up, and speaking of fan favourites, Real Life is here and was, for me at least, another possible contender for a single from the project. A really big, loud and live stage-ready pop song, Real Life 
came complete with the iconic lyric, it's better to be living than surviving. Cause baby, this is real life. You wanna get your mind on your occupation. The moment's got to feel right. Cause honey, if it don't, then get out the station. I'm surprisingly not the biggest real life stan. I wouldn't skip it on the album, but I just think because of all these pulsating songs and singles, that it just didn't really catch my attention the same way. But I, as I said, I wouldn't skip it. I think... It was really, and again, because it was such a live stage-ready pop song, it really, really sounded good live when it was done. I always really, really liked how loud and clashy it sounded on the live stage. I can only imagine how more exciting that would have been in real life. (laughs) Totally. It definitely could have been on Tangled Up as well. So there's, you know, you start to hear these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of songs on this album that I think start to lay out like a blueprint for how future songs sound. Like I hear a bit of swinging London town. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little bit of something kind of new and wake me up. Um, it's not to say they're right. not, they're not, you know, they're, they're still reinventing the wheel, but um, you just start to really hear that in this album. When it comes to the next up-tempo album track, here we go. I often argue with myself about which of the song's lyrics are its most definitive or rather the most girls allowed sounding. And it's between, put your tongue in my ear, it's queer but kind of fun. <laughs> Sugar, give me your face and place it next to mine, because darling, grease is the word and boy, the word is divine. Or the hysterically good, I don't do sex, but I do do second base, so I suggest you wipe that frown from off your face. This was another moment for me that just further cemented how incredible and unmatchable Girls Aloud would become in the pop world. Finally, on the up-tempo front, at least before the last single, Thank Me Daddy, which is lyrically off the chain, singing, Thank me, Daddy, for the things that you'll never know, and listen to the noise that I'm making, not the boys on my answer phone. Again, who else but Girls Loud could sing a lyric like that? Just incredible. Like, I'm still not 100% sure what it means, but I love it. (laughs) Right? Which is sort of the answer to a lot of Girls Loud lyrics. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have particular thoughts on Thank Me Daddy. I love the title, but just, you know, just pedals along. It does what it needs to. Fun album cut. Absolutely. Balladry speaking, we're left with four tracks. Deadlines and Diets is a song that you'll remember I mentioned earlier that the girls wanted to release as a single instead of Love Machine. And, I mean, look, it's a great track that definitely takes them sort of into All Saints ballad territory rather than sort of that of Spice, but... A single? It is not. And I'm very glad that the label overrode their initial wishes. You are going to be shocked by this, but it's one of my favourites on the album. Well, I, that's the thing. I really like it. I just, I'm not sure that it would have worked as a single, but... I probably agree with you, actually. I I probably would have preferred it as a single to I'll Stand By You, but only because it was right. a, an original song. I love the production. I think it's really relatable. Um, you yeah. know, the lyrics, I mean... 
I've got deadlines. I've got diets. Am I a girl allowed? You know? Right. And we, we've all been with devious men. <laughs> Absolutely. Speak for yourself, Adam. I'm, um, I'm saving myself. <laughs> <laughs> Another endless story, eh? Seen it before. I'll see it again. It would have been pretty funny if they had released Deadlines and Diets as a Children in Need charity song. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I, you know, I, I don't really know the lyrics to this song that well, but I'm assuming a lot of it's quite outdated and you wouldn't want to release a song like this nowadays. Probably not. But is it more outdated than Beautiful Because You Love Me, which was outdated when it came out? Oh, God, this is true. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, moving on. I Say a Prayer For You, which UK bonus track co-written and sung solely by Nicola. And a hundred different ways, which is co-written and sung solely by Nadine. As I tried to say goodbye, you wouldn't let me, kept holding me back. Now I see your face in the crowds, but it's never really you that I'm looking at. I mean, they're both really just fine as album cut ballads. But if we're talking What Will the Neighbours Say ballads, the best ballad Girls Aloud for me actually ever released came in the form of the mostly Sarah Harding song, Hear Me Out, which is a song whose title would eventually inspire Sarah to name her autobiography after it. hard listening to this track because even before Sarah's passing it was my favourite aloud ballad and it always hit me deeper than any of their others and now I mean now it's just a fully loaded track that reminds me of one of the brightest most energetic and powerful pop stars and voices in pop music and the fact that she's gone you know <laughs> each month as I begin listening to the next episode's album era tracks and watching the videos, it, it, it is pretty hard. I can't, I'm going to admit, last night while watching the What Will the Neighbours Say tour DVD for the first time in about five years, I think, I found myself really sad every time Sarah would come up on the screen. I, I don't want to make a habit of bringing this up every episode, but Sarah's untimely passing is still so fresh and something I can see online in the fan base that many are still really, really struggling to deal with. So... Hear Me Out means a lot more to me now than ever before. It's also a song that just makes me think so, so much about how special Sarah was to us all. Absolutely. I have to say, I was re-listening to this album a lot leading up to this podcast. 
And it was actually, I think it's a really well-written, beautiful song. I think the chorus is really powerful. Um, you know, I, I sort of lost interest when it first came out because it didn't start that strong. But now, in retrospect, I think it's so wonderful. For a group created on a reality television program, Girls Aloud had more than coming to their own with What Will the Neighbours Say? Even defying what people thought would haunt them like a scarlet letter until their breakup. Some critics and music snobs might say, and have said, that the girls' music only works because of Xenomania, and that they're all songs other artists could have sung. Well, I'm going to call complete bullshit on that, because... When the girls go up-tempo, there is nobody else that could sing or perform those songs. What people seem to forget is, by the time chemistry had rolled around, Girls Aloud were very much Xenomania's muse, and the music they created together had that deeply ingrained into it. The songwriting house worked with many other amazing pop acts, but it was always with Girls Aloud they delivered the best results. And why wouldn't they? The girls themselves are worthy of Muse status, and I've always thought Brian and Miranda brought out the best in the girls, and the girls brought out the best in Brian and Miranda. The album What Will the Neighbours Say peaked at number four in Scotland, number six in the UK, and number 12 in Ireland, shifting 600,000 copies in the UK and being certified platinum twice over, not only in the UK, but also in Ireland. But... I believe we have one more single to talk about, saving the best for last. On the 21st of February in 2005, Girls Aloud released what would be Neighbours' fourth and final single, Wake Me Up. A song that fused signature rock moves with a drilling synth and a heart-racing bass line. This is my absolute favourite single from What Will The Neighbours Say?, and I'm actually very proud to own the, uh, the vinyl 7-inch picture disc of it, even if the sound quality of that vinyl picture disc came terrible brand new. <laughs> that is the gamble you take with picture discs or even coloured vinyl, but nonetheless, what a bloody song, what a single, what a way to close out the era of a truly iconic record. song compared to everybody from Aphex Twin of all people to Franz Ferdinand to Nine Inch Nails, which may shock some, but was probably no surprise to the label heads at Polydor, who, just to quickly recap from earlier, were too scared to release this as the project's first single due to it being too hard. But my god, what a song. The way it just rattles along with loud force and felt like the most rock star moment in all of their back catalogue at that point. Wake Me Up is an exciting pop song that's been argued by others as being either about an abusive relationship, a big weekend bender, or six different topics all rolled into one. I'll let you decide. Obviously, once again, my favourite remix came from Xenomania's Tony Lamesma.
Let's sift through the haze of the past seven days. Moey and mud, a puddle of bud, and Monday looks divine. Let's trip through the maze, away from everybody's gaze. Your vice-like grip on my sherbet dip. I guess I'll get in line. Genius! Amazing! Totally bonkers. I'm also a really, really huge fan of the middle eight. And it's lyric about being sad to feel sugar. <laughs> Making this one of the most unforgettable Girls Aloud singles ever for me. Oh my god. It's... It's energetic, it's pulsating, it's fresh, it's cool. I, do, I feel like Lady Gaga, amazing, show-stopping, never been the same again. Um, but it really was all those things. And it's amazing hearing you talk about how it was compared to other stuff because I, I just feel like this is just brand new pop. I can't really see the Franz or the Nine Inch Nails or any, any of those mentioned. But if we're talking about it from a fact that it's fresh, maybe there is a connection to Aphex Twin who brought a lot of that fresh stuff to electronic music. But all in all, it is just a really towering pop rock song that just fit them like a glove. It was just, yeah, it was everything working together in perfect harmony. It was just a moment. And I did notice that Pop Justice gave it their song of the year, which back then was my Bible. It was really validating to see that they gave it their song of the year. That video, let's talk about it. I mean, this is the video that made me go from being a very big Girls Aloud fan to uncontrollable Girls Aloud stan. I remember the very first time I saw it, my jaw was on the floor. I was just so amazed at how cheap the video was and yet so simultaneously completely effective as well. The show may have been the first Aloud video to really kind of show how camp they could be to an original song. But Wake Me Up took it to the next level, popping the girls in front of a green screen and onto some motorbikes as they sped down a highway singing away. Not only that, but at one point, Sarah pops the back of her motorbike to reveal a stunning collection of nail polish covers on ice, and Kimberly pulls out her bike-attached hairdryer for a quick blowout as she speeds down the road. And of course, circling back to that middle eight, during the video scene when they step off the bikes for a small bit of choreo, I'm still obsessed with that surprising and synchronised titty shake that I cannot stop myself from doing each time I listen to this song. <laughs> Never has a video made me simultaneously so much straighter and so much gayer at the same time. <laughs> Yes. Oh, bingo. <laughs> and also, just what you were saying is so bang on. They really understood their own campness. They started to take the piss out of themselves. Their lyrics were a bit, a bit weird and wonderful. The videos were camp. They were just, they were, they'd hit their strides with this. This felt like a real big moment for them. This was the very moment I realised that there wasn't and hadn't been a girl group or pop group in general quite like Girls Loud. And, I mean, even though many have tried to replicate that magic post the allowed, for me, there just still isn't a pop group quite like them. And Wake Me Up and its video are both a true testament to that. Wake Me Up would peak at number four in both the UK and Scotland, as well as charting number six in Ireland. As also mentioned, Wake Me Up would go on to win Pop Justice's much-loved 20-quid music prize for the year of 2005. Now, this is an annual event that takes the best British release singles of the past 12 months and puts them all to a vote by a panel of judges. This is a music prize that was started by website Pop Justice in response to the, quote, pompous and elitist nature of the annual British Mercury Prize. 
Mercury Prize winners got £20,000 if they won, but the Pop Justice winner, well, it's kind of all on the tin. They got £20, to which I'm sure they spread evenly amongst themselves upon collection. Anyway, like this is a bit of Girls Allowed videos, isn't it? 20 quid. <laughs> That's the budget for the videos from the first album. <laughs> <laughs> all four of them. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyway, look, this is an amazing track that sounds even more electrifying when blared at top volume in the car. (laughs) Very quickly, before we do start to begin to wrap up the episode, I'd also like to quickly mention the girls' first ever big national tour, which would see a DVD release as well. The What Will the Neighbours Say Tour? Clocking in at just over an hour, this was the girls' first big tour after the planned and canned pop stars The Rivals tour never came to be. And as amazing as it is, you can definitely tell that this is their first big tour. There's still a little bit of lovable stage awkwardness and the tight ships that we would eventually see on tours for Out of Control and 10 were, well, nowhere in sight. (laughs) I love the show a lot. I mean, it's just very endearing to watch but it is absolutely also a time capsule of its era, complete with Microsoft Word art titles scrolling across the screen each time a new song began. I have to confess that I've never seen the tour until getting ready for this episode, just because it was hard to get in Australia. I don't sort of later tours and stuff. But what really stood out for me was I know that Sarah was was officially the fifth member of Girls Aloud by voting. And, you know, there was a lot of love for Javine. She went and did her thing. I loved her singles. But this showed me that Sarah was an essential part of the show. Her vocals were just next level. 100%. Uh, We spoke about it briefly in the last episode as well, that Craig and I were saying that we don't think that Girls Aloud would have lasted as long as they did had Sarah not been in the group and Javine had gone in because Javine very much did feel like a proper solo artist. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Real Real Things was a crazy in love of the UK. Yeah. Amazing track, amazing track. But I do think that she, that we were better off as Girls Loud fans and she was probably better off as well because I don't think that that would have lasted anywhere near as long as it did. Yeah, so I noticed, I actually was surprised by how good the vocals were. Uh, but what horrified me was how bad the Cory is. And I'd love to say that this gets better, but it really doesn't. What were highlights for you? So, obviously, I loved the uh, sequin one pieces with the denim uh, in the first in the first uh, act of the show. I thought that was stunning. Um, I loved how much Cheryl looked at the camera. <laughs> we have the solo star in waiting. Constantly looking at the camera. It was just... It, it was great. I love it. Um, I also really, really loved when uh, Girls on Film was about to start, which is... I'm neither here nor there for, like, I won't skip it, but whatever. Um, but Kimberly announcing, this is a song that the mum and dads will like because this was a time when they had to cater to the parents in the audience. So I always thought that Kimberly was kind of the girl allowed for the, for the mums and dads a little bit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Before we go any further, me and the girls would just like to say 
A big thank you to everybody who came to see us tonight. We really appreciate everybody's support. And we hope everyone has a really good time. What about for you? I actually didn't mind a few of the covers. I, I think Teenage Dirtbag was pretty good, but it was all the, the, yeah. se the second album singles that really stood out. Do you know what I loved was Nicola as a brunette, even though she betrayed the ginger sisterhood that I'm in. <laughs> you know, they're still finding their feet a bit, but on the whole, I was really impressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, overall, the What Will the Neighbours Say tour felt like the perfect way for the girls to debut their proper live shows, rather, as I said, than that planned shared Pop Stars The Rivals tour during that first album. I guess you could say this is a budget version of their Virgin tour, if you will. I see that. I feel like mold, it's prom night and I am lonely, low and behold, he's walking over to me. This must be fake, my lips start to shake, how does he know who I am, and why does he give up? I should also mention the Girls on Film DVD. Very big shout out to my friend Naz, who purchased it for me on a trip to the UK. The Girls on Film DVD features all of the music videos from Sound of the Underground right through to Wake Me Up, the incredible MTV special The Show, and live performances from CD UK, Pop World, and Top of the Pops, RIP to all three of those. The Girls on Film DVD was also certified gold in the UK. Girls Aloud's What Will the Neighbours Say shaped and birthed an entire generation of Alouders and Huns. Not only across the UK, Ireland and Scotland, but with internet forum gays the world over. Their UK successes may have meant nothing to commercial landscapes in countries like ours, but that doesn't take anything away from their exceptional legacy. I love this album so very much, I love this tour so very much, and I obsessively watch its video clips at least once a week. What Will the Neighbours Say would probably be my fourth in my overall allowed album top five, I guess, but that's absolutely not to say that it's a bad record. Far from it, actually. It's truly a great pop album that shines many different lights on a girl group who were really finally discovering who they were, what their sound would be, and what kind of women they'd grow into. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. It's fourth in my order as well. I think it was a stepping stone to their real imperial phase of, of chemistry onwards. Right, a kind of groundbreaking era that really helped sort of pave the way for the magic and the madness of chemistry. But that is a story that you'll have to wait to hear until March the 21st, when I'm joined by my BFF and fellow Alouda Benatar. We'll be talking all about the chemistry era, as well as diving deep into the story behind the morning that we both got to meet all of Girls Aloud and their manager Hillary during their Australia promotional tour. That's next month on You Can't Mistake Their Anthology, Monday, March the 21st. But my God, Ed, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this bumper-sized effort celebrating the girls' iconic sophomore album, What Will the Neighbours Say? It has been an absolute pleasure shooting the shit with you on the podcast no the pleasure's been all mine i can't thank you enough um I, I i think your show is incredible and i think as well you know the last couple of years were pretty tough for a lot of us especially in australia and i think um podcasts were an escape for a lot of us and i think what you do is wonderful oh thank you that means so much uh, trust me when i say that creating the podcast producing the podcasts have been as much of an outlet for me as well um 
and connecting with people that are really enjoying it. Like I still can't get over the messages that I'm getting about the Girls Loud podcast and the people that are really resonating with it. So it really does mean a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. To be honest, I'm just thankful you haven't blocked me on Twitter yet. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of, actually, could you please tell the lovely folk at home how they can connect with you on the social medias? I would love to. So uh, for professional bookings, no, I'm just joking. I've got no professional. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you can follow my drunk pop ramblings at P-I-T-T, Pit Worldwide. Very similar to uh, Pitbull's Mr. Worldwide, That's which is unfortunate. Amazing. I'm so obsessed with your username. It's not even funny. Complete coincidence, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Everybody go follow Ed right now. And actually speaking on the social front, you can find the podcast on Instagram at Allowed Podcast. That's all one word. Yes, I've shortened the username on Instagram to make things a bit easier for myself. Uh, The podcast is also now finally on Twitter, which is also at Allowed Podcast, all one word. You can also find me, your host, Adam Eve, on Twitter as A-D-E-M-E-V-E. It's Adam Eve, but all one word and spelled Adam with an E, yes. And on Instagram, at Adam.Eve. Pretty simple. I also host a weekly radio show on Mixcloud called The Record Doctor, five years strong now. I do a lot of Girls Loud specials over there, including my tribute to our dearly missed angel in the sky, Sarah, a top 30 of Girls Loud's best songs, a top 30 of their best B-sides and rarities, and a remix top 30. 30. The next Girls Aloud countdown actually airs on Mixcloud's The Record Doctor Thursday, March the 24th at 8pm Melbourne time and right across the globe where I'll be counting down the top fives of each Aloud member's solo efforts. So basically, uh, it will be a top 25, uh, Cheryl top five, Kimber top five and so on and so on. You can find out more information about the show, The Record Doctor, by visiting the website. You can find out more about my radio show, The Record Doctor, by visiting the show at mixcloud.com forward slash The Record Doctor, by downloading the Mixcloud app onto your smartphone, doing a search for The Record Doctor, or by visiting the show's official website, www.therecorddoctor.com. I also co-host the Danny and Kylie Minogue podcast, This Is Disco, with the wonderful Eliza Day. And you can listen to that wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And the This Is Disco socials are on both Twitter and Instagram, at This Is Disco, all one word. That's all hard to remember. Again, www.therecorddoctor.com but um oh ed thank you once again for joining me on you can't mistake their anthology it has been an absolute riot thank you so much adam that was just so much fun i have such a good time talking pop and obviously talking girls aloud so and i haven't seen you in so long because of back in COVID and everything. So it's been just a lot of fun. I feel like we're... I'm getting a train out there and we're coming and doing Madonna night. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, definitely 100%. That's been on the... That's literally been on the books since pre-COVID. So... I have to say as well, thank you so much for asking me because, you know, I've actually never really done anything like this and I just really wanted to shake shit up and you... Like, this has just been a really amazing experience. So thank you. I was so fucking nervous when we started. Oh, no, you didn't have to be at all. You were fantastic. Oh, thanks so much. It's such an easy dialogue back and forth. and Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, you uh, do a, a really welcoming host, a good welcome host job. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Ed. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'm so excited to hear you right back at your post. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. My God, I had so, so much fun. Oh, I can't that. wait. I would have probably listened to it if we weren't doing this, but, you know, it's for a good yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love those boys.
They're amazing. Love David and Joel so much. For the listeners at home, uh, David and Joel, who run the Right Back At You podcast, have also done an episode on Girls Aloud's Sound of the Underground era. Definitely go and check it out. Those boys are amazing. And I'm looking forward to uh, having them on the pod very soon in a few episodes' time. So... But yes, I will catch you all next month for the podcast. But don't forget, weekly radio show on Mixcloud called The Record Doctor. If you'd like to hear from me sooner, then please do tune into that. (laughs) However, until then, thank me, Daddy, as I say a prayer for you all and wish you all a lovely rest of your real life. Oh, God. Bye. You Can't Mistake Their Anthology is a monthly pop podcast written, edited and produced by Adam Eve for The Record Doctor. 